podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Welcome to our fan special. I promised it and we're about to deliver. I hope we are anyway. Um, thank you to it once again to everyone who wrote in. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I was interested in talking to snooker fans about their experiences because so many of the chats we have on here concern the tournaments and the players and very much from perspective of people maybe working in the sport or players obviously playing uh, in the sport. But what about the people who actually pay their own money to come and watch? Um, we've got three of them with us. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves one at a time before we get into the chat and maybe uh, just say who you are, uh, number one. Maybe briefly, how did you sort of just get into snooker? Uh, what was your first event? And maybe sort of what's your typical attendance during a season? So why don't we start with Kelly? Hi, Dave. Um, I'm Kelly. I've been going to snooker since 1997. Um, been to the Crucible every year since 98. Um, first got into it by staying, staying at my grandparents during the school holidays. And they had it on once, and I, I just loved it. And um, I couldn't, when it was coming up to leaving school, all I wanted to do, my career ambitions were to visit the Crucible. I didn't really mind what job I had, but I just knew I had to go to the Crucible one day. And what was your first event, Kelly? The first event I ever attended was the 97 Charity Challenge final, Hendry and O'Sullivan. Right. And then... Uh, so it wasn't a bad start. I got a 147 and I'm, I met them. Players did a, a signing after, so I met them both. And uh, as a 16-year-old, that was just the best day of my life at the time. And, uh, yeah, I was totally in love with it and uh, still am. <laughs> and in terms of, I mean, you, you're a regular, quite a few tournaments, obviously, the Crucible, but it, during a season, roughly, so how much snooker do you actually go and watch live? Usually four or five events. Um, usually so, some days at the the UK and the Masters. Um, usually the Welsh Open, a few days there. Um, and anything else that we might just fancy a weekend away at. Great. Okay. Same questions to you, Brian. So how do you get into snooker? What was your first event? And what's your sort of attendance like during the season? Okay. Um, first of all, thanks very much for having me on, Dave. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Brian. Um, I've been into snooker for literally uh, years since the my first um, match that I ever watched on television was way back um, the nineteen classic nineteen eighty final Thorburn versus Higgins, and I was only a ten year old at the time, and I do remember it being um, uh, sort of just compelling viewing and. Uh, uh, it, I just really sort of found I found a sport that I really, uh, really was really into. Um, I watched it on TV for the first three or four years without actually attending a, 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 an event. Uh, I originally used to live in uh, Newcastle upon Tyne, and I went to the the Heady Jameson International at the uh, Everton Square uh, Recreation Centre in Newcastle, and I saw my first ever match there was Steve Davis versus Silvino Francisco. And um, I just remember that the first frame was something ridiculous, like 76 minutes, which, <laughs> wasn't, which wasn't won or usually for them by Davis. Um, Silvino won the first frame that he, that he got pretty much uh, came 5-1, if I remember rightly. Um, 
and then especially since then i've uh, i've attended tournaments all around the country um in uh, in various different uh, different guises i would say currently i probably attend maybe two or three events a year um the the masters is certainly the closest from where i live so um that the masters is is always uh, on my radar and then i would probably do a few um of the other rank events maybe uh at milton Keynes. Uh, i do like to have a um uh, visit to the crucible whenever i can and but i would say probably two or three two or three events a year as it stands okay I feel like uh, Scylla Black here, because uh, she always used to say same same questions to number three. And Joe, you are number three. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, okay. So I'm Joe, I'm from South Wales. And um, my granddad was the person that got me into snooker. He, he played a lot when he was younger, when when snooker was massive in Wales. Um, he, he went to a few of the original Welsh events before it became the Welsh Open, when it was just the just Welsh-only players that were allowed to go, and like Terry Griffiths and... Doug Bonjo and all of those used to play. Um, so yeah, get, getting in the snooker early on was when I used to play with my granddad and the the, um, the first events that, that we went to were, were down in Wales in the Newport Centre. Um, and I remember, I think the first event that I went to as well, I saw a 147 where Ronnie O'Sullivan, I think it was the second quickest break at eight, eight minutes or something like that, um, when we went to see him just play, play an early run match in the Welsh Open in, in Newport. So uh, and we always tend to um, go to the Welsh Open every year now, just just be my granddad um, every year. So we've seen it in a few different venues. Um, I do get get around to a few other events as well. Um, been to the, the Crucible a few times, and um, me me and my granddad went on a kind of snooker pilgrimage one year where we we tried to go to to every every event um, around the country, um, all, all the home nation series. Um, we, we always tend to get an all-day ticket now because I'll never forget when we went all the way to Alexandra Palace um, and walked up that, that massively long hill, which took about an hour to get up to get Alexandra Palace. And um, and I think Ronnie O'Sullivan was 8 0 up. So we got there for the, the evening session and, and saw two frames. So I think that, that'll be that's definitely the last ever time we will just go to the evening session and, and not get an all-day ticket, I think, after that. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned Ali Pally because I'm, I'm, we'll be reading some emails out later. and. I mean, the Masters this year, as a television spectacle, was a great triumph. It was a great event. But I was interested, quite a few people said how much they didn't actually like the venue um, as a venue. And we might come on to that shortly. But I wanted the first question I really wanted to ask was, what makes an ideal snooker venue? Um, what is, you know, I mean, I look at the Crucible, obviously, it's the World Championship. But that is a theatre, so the seats are nice. Now, that must make a difference, for example. But let's go back to you, Kelly. What 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 sort of... Because you've been to a lot of venues, what makes a good venue? I think um, the Crucible does, like you say, it has everything. And I think this, for an all-day ticket, three sessions a day, good seating is very important. Um, I think the city or town it's in is has a little bit of something to do with it. Um, facilities in the venue, um, I think we've touched on before. Some venues don't sell food and they're in a bit out the way of town. I think it makes such a difference if something's in the town centre or the city centre. And, um, you know, like the Crucible, you're, you're five-minute walk away from hotels, restaurants, anything you might ever need, it's there and you can be back at the Crucible in, in no time. 
though it does make a big difference. Also, the fact that it is a theatre and in the round um, is, is amazing for, you know, the acoustics, you know, you sit in there and, you know, the two tables and it just sounds perfect where you can go to some venues and it is just a big empty soulless room, it can feel. And um, then temporary seats are no good really when, <clears throat> when you're in there morning, noon and night. Um, York's a good one because it's got that balcony which have got great seats. Um, so we always try and sit up there. We never go down the front at York. Um, but I just think, I just wonder whether too many, I know times are hard, but I just wonder whether all these years, so many venues for, especially at the home nations, which are a bit smaller in stature, um, it, it all sometimes feels like it's a little bit done on the cheap and it makes for not a, not the best day. Obviously, you're all there for the snooker. That's the most important thing. And from a snooker playing and snooker watching point of view, it's all always a lovely day. But sometimes you do feel a bit more could be done to make it a bit better. And then temporary seats are probably the one of the worst things about it. And the venue being out of the way. Um, in some far-flung place doesn't always help either. Okay, Brian, you, you've been going for years. What what sort of what makes a good venue as opposed to a not so good venue? Uh, I pretty much concur with everything that Kelly has said there. I think um, it needs to be ideally a theatre environment. So uh, you know the th theatre seating. I think if it's in the round. It helps. So um, venues, I know, um, I know we have the temper drum now, but we do But venues like Goffs, which we had back in the day, which was uh, in the round. I think sometimes some venues that have been where the the the, the um, view of the table hasn't been great um, from for where you are. I know you can't cater for everybody, but um, I think ideally the proximity of the um seating to the table obviously the crucible is a major plus in that respect um I, i'm just not a fan of the of, of the leisure center venues that feels like as kelly's just uh, said there that they've been kind of thrown up and and you know temporary seating which if you have an all-day ticket isn't the best and as much as you want to be there to watch the snooker in its entirety invariably you have to sort of have the odd comfort break because the seats are, the seats are a bit too firm. Um, I think it's ideally when it feels a bit more of a theatre environment. Uh, I remember, you know, just going to the Hexagon in Reading. Um, pre previous previous ven previous venues that 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 um, are a bit more encompassing. Yeah, and uh, Joe, do you sort of concur with this? Yeah, yeah, de definitely. I think um, Kelly hit the nail on the head with, with the temporary seating. Um, I, I think some events, especially the, the Home Nations events, when they're in leisure centres, is almost like they're purely set up for TV and the fans are, are basically in there to aid the TV looking better. So I think the, the fans are definitely an afterthought whereby they think we'll just get the temporary seating in there, try and fill out the arena, and then that'll just improve it for the TV viewers, which we can understand when, I suppose... 
how many people were in the venue, maybe a few hundred, and the people watching on TV were talking like hundreds of thousands. So the, the TV viewing is always going to come first. But I think um, the events that are in city centres are definitely the, the best, um, where, especially if you've got an all-day ticket and you can, you've got three hours stay between each session. If you're in York or Sheffield, like Cardiff and Belfast are quite good, actually, for the two home, home nations events that are in city centres because you can go off to a restaurant or, or local bar, just enjoy, enjoy yourself in that in that um that gap between the two sessions um whereas some of the events in, in we went to Crawley in, in the leisure center that obviously Ronnie O'Sullivan gave that give that event a bit of stick um for years ago and I can see why because the, the venue is just like they're desperate when they when they choose venues like that um it's just like they, they can't find anywhere else in, in the English Open when they, when they chose there um but not just that, even, even the Welsh Open at the ICC in Newport last year with the temporary seating and the, the venues like 15 minutes outside the city centre. Again, it's like they choose those those venues just, just as an aid to the TV room, really, rather than choosing a city centre venue and trying to build on the history of having the tournament there year after year and, and just adding a bit of history to, to each tournament rather than change, changing it about. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kelly and um, Brian's hit the nail on the head with their points really it's um it's all about the the um the location of the venue i would say and having it in, in the city centre ideally the the thing with snooker is it, it's unusual in in some ways as a sport it doesn't have any purpose built venues obviously cricket rugby football you know golf has to be played on a golf course tennis has its you know as its uh, purpose built venues we don't so they are very mixed as you say and, for example, the Waterfront is one of the best venues. It's a big concert venue. Kelly men- mentioned the acoustics of the Crucible. They're brilliant there as well. Um, but uh, the problem, as you mentioned, with these leisure centres is they are the snooker is just another thing that's happening in the venue. You know, you go in there, the kids are swimming, people playing squash, there's the gym going on, and a world-ranking event is just another thing in the venue. It's just taking up another space. And there's no doubt it's done for money, um, one of the arguments I made after the Masters, everyone said how, how good it came across on TV. We'll talk maybe about the Alley Valley in a moment as a venue to visit. But, you know, it's, it's London. It's, it's a big city, obviously, and, and there's a big sort of cash and catch of people to, to, to bring in. Um, why not try and raise up some of these other events? They're not all going to be the Masters with its history, but try and get them into big cities with good transport, uh, you know, links, facilities, as Kelly mentioned, in Sheffield. Um rather than sort of finding or uh, well, the impression that's given sometimes is let's find the cheapest place we can to save a few quid. Now we're going to Brentwood for the English Open. Um, and I've already heard all sorts of horror stories. We've not been there yet, but all sorts of horror stories about how that will, that will not be. Someone said it was worse than Crawley. Okay. Now we know Crawley went down. Nothing wrong with Crawley as a place or indeed that leisure centre is a great leisure centre, but we're not talking about a leisure centre. We're talking about a venue for a snooker tournament. And what Ronnie said was absolutely spot on. The way he said it, maybe you could argue, was a bit insensitive. But the criticisms he made of that venue were absolutely right. And it leads on to my next question, which uh, let's stay on a negative tone. Why not? Uh, what's the worst venue you've been to? Let's stay with you, Joe. What's the worst venue you've been to from a spectator perspective? Um, I don't want to say Crawley because I've just because you just mentioned <laughs> that one. But I would say apart from that, maybe. The Emirates Arena in Glasgow. I thought, huh? I suppose I went to the final on a Sunday um, and it just felt like a ghost town. It's it's 20 minutes outside Glasgow City Centre. Uh, it's not a bad venue, I suppose, but when you come out of there, there was nowhere to eat. You had to go to a cafe in the venue and just get like a jack potato, <laughs> like, for, for, like mm. 
I don't understand why they couldn't have set up a few. Um, I don't know, had some local, like not burger vans, but like a Mexican van or something or something, somewhere nice to eat inside the venue. Um, so I think that's that's definitely up there with with one of the worst, I'd say. And, and uh, the Ali Pali as well. I'm not not a fan. He looks great on TV, but um, again, it seems a little bit in the middle of nowhere. Really, there's not a lot of restaurants or anything, anything close by. It's interesting because, as I say, we had a lot of. I was surprised by the feedback because um, I don't sit in the audience. I don't know if, if the seats are comfortable. The Ali Pali, also people felt I think at times particularly in the evenings there that some of the, the crowd were a bit out of order and you know it was kind of a bit uncomfortable for some people Ke- Kelly though you've been to a lot of venues what would, what would be the worst <laughs> name and shame oh. um, you know what? I don't I don't know about worst venue because from a snooker point of view you're in there and the match is good or bad mm. whether whether the venue is good or bad I mean, you know we've, we've all sat through some rubbish at the crucible um <laughs> don't know um I mean I, I, I did go to Milton Keynes for one day last season and the, like you say it was okay as a snooker when you were in there watching the snooker that was fine but it was miles away from anywhere it took half an hour to walk from from Bletchley station um and you know all the time you're there for the evening session unless you were staying over you'd be thinking oh Got to got to keep an eye on the time because they're getting home, and um, I mean that's you know that's not a consideration if you've got a hotel or anything. Um, I wasn't a great fan of Telford, mm. but it was the UK Championship, so you, you, I went every year. It was there. Um, I just think, I mean, going back to Crawley again, watching the snooker wasn't the worst thing, but like you say, I think Ronnie did have some valid points about the rest of it. Um, and we'll see what Brentford throws up, Brentwood throws up. Um, you know, it, it's not the furthest tournament from me, but I haven't booked anything yet because I, I feel a little bit uninspired by it. Mm. Um but especially as like the home nations, you've got Belfast. We've now got Edinburgh. Um, yes. Okay, the Welsh has moved to Clandon, though it has been in Cardiff and Newport. Brentwood, it's not like one of the, you know, no, nothing wrong. Matchroom is, is based there. Nothing wrong with Brentwood, I'm sure. But it's not Manchester. It's not Birmingham. It's not Liverpool. It's it's just a sort of legislative six, I guess. Yeah. Brian, uh, your worst venue? Uh, well, Certainly of recent years, um, I've gone to the snooker shootout, both in the Mountbatten Centre, Portsmouth, which wasn't the best venue for it, and also the Wofford Coliseum. Um, the Wofford Coliseum, I, I really did think might be quite a good venue for it, but it felt a little bit soulless. And I think um, the problem is, is obviously when that, uh, in my opinion, is when that started out at the Blackfield Tower, and that was such a great venue for us mm-hmm. that I don't think any venue has quite matched that and um, for what is effectively a kind of no- more novelty tournament. Um, and then I, th- I think going back a few years, I seem to have uh, bizarre memories of the the Regal Scottish Masters in Motherwell, which wasn't the uh, greatest venue at the time uh, either. And I remember travelling up there and thinking, well, this 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 venue hasn't really kind of thought about 
its audience much. But I, I would say from recent years, the snooker shootout, it's, it's a difficult one, I think, to get right. But I think if, if they do find the right venue for that, it, it will pay dividends. Well, the Morningside Arena in Leicester, um, where I've been this week for the Championship League, that's where the shootout was last season. And they're actually uh, building a new part of it. Um, the car park's being dug up and they're building essentially an extension, um, which hopefully will house sort of hospitality and so on. Because I think last year they basically had a tent outside, or marquee, let's call it that. Um, it was not really set up for hospitality and so on. But let, let's try and be a bit more constructive. So... What are the what are the improvements that could be made as a fan? What are they not doing that they could do? I mean, we've already sort of mentioned food is not always available at every venue. I always think the merchandise stand looks a bit sorry. You know, there's not yeah. you, you go to you go to like even me and Neil went to like a county cricket match. Um, and again, it's a purpose built. The Oval is a purpose built sports ground. But there's so many things you can buy while you're there. There's so many things you know the refreshments and so on. A lot of these snooker tournaments, that doesn't seem to be the case. Let's let's stay with you, Brian. What what improvements would you like to see? Well, I, I've actually wrote a few things down mm. here, but based exactly on on what we've just been saying. Um, I know you can't do this for every tournament, but I I was a huge fan of the heritage room and it used to be mm. be, be on it, the, the Crucible. Um, it was just fascinating taking a, sort of a journey back into snooker's folklore and. Um, learning about the, the origins of the game. Now, I appreciate not everybody will be into that or want to see that, but I think certainly at a, at a, at a venue such as the World Championships, I really think there should be the opportunity to delve into the past of the game. Uh, I know, obviously, we're, we're currently in Wimbledon fortnight at Wimbledon. They have exactly that, where you can um, visit, visit the, um, the heritage of the game in like a... Uh, in various archive kind of formats, and I just think we're missing the trick there. Um, personally, well, Roger, Roger Lee, Ro- sorry, just to cut in, Roger Lee used to run that. Uh, he's a, he's sort of yeah. leading leading historian and collector. And essentially, yeah. and it, this is the, one of the problems with the Crucible. Essentially, the room that there was the Heritage Room they needed for the sponsors, you know, and there just wasn't another room. But it was a fantastic um, treasure trove of kind of not the obvious sort of history that we all know, but going right back. Uh, it was an education actually going in there. But anyway, continue. Yeah, um, uh, obviously it was something that I was thinking about was um, with when a match finishes early, I know we all, as Kelly said earlier, we all go there to watch the snooker. Sometimes, of course, you get a match that finishes early. Um, and if, if there's an exhibition, quite often it's with the, um, the classic snooker legends of, of, of yesteryear who will come out and obviously perform at exhibitions. Nothing wrong with that, and that and that's great value in itself. But I think there's an opportunity to bring some new and up-and-coming players and give them the opportunity to um, play on the big stage at the closing um, moments of a, of, of a tournament to, get, to give them kind of good exposure of playing on, on the big stage. And... Um, some of these, obviously, the up-and-coming names may not be household names yet, but I think it may be more advantageous to bring out new and up-and-coming rather than um, the stars of yesteryear. I think the thing with that is it's just a practical thing. The Dennis Taylors and Ken Doherty's are just there because they're commentating, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't, yeah, yeah. you don't always know you're going to need anyone, I suppose. No, no. Just, just, just an idea. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, the what else? Um, maybe the um, uh, coaching sessions could be available from 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 uh, any of the pros. I think it's something that needs to be um, where you could register via via an app or via the World Snooker app, so that you don't turn up and you're disappointed. Because I know, uh, for example, say at the Masters, the queue zone there is always a great idea, but unfortunately, it's always uh, terribly crowded, and the, the the queues are horrendous to get to, to see. You know, to, this is as far as links go for the main 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 items, or just the opportunity to play on one of the tables, and uh, invariably you don't really get seen. So I think I think that that would be. If you could register to take part in something when you were there, it would maybe add to the experience. Okay. Now, Joe, I think in your original email, you you mentioned you've been to sort of various other sporting events sort of around the world. So you can sort of tell us maybe about how, you know, improvements based on what you've seen with other things. Yeah, so I've been to a lot of tennis throughout the world. So I've been to like every Grand Slam final and a lot of the, the ATP um, thousand events. Like it's, it's difficult to compare snooker tennis, I think, because tennis, um, most of the venues, as, as you mentioned with cricket, they they are there for the tennis. They're not um, they're not changing the venues every year. But 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 still, even when you go to, I've been to a few smaller tennis events. I went went to the Vienna Open, um, which is not a big event, and and they had loads of like food stations on where with really good food, like pasta stations or Mexican food stations. So I know we've, we've touched on food already, but I think that's, that's massive. If you, if you go to, if you go for an all day ticket, you're going to have some spare time where having some good food is half of the experience. I would say when you go to the snooker or, or having, having quite a few bars, sometimes there's only one very small bar with massive queues. Um, definitely could have, have maybe, maybe a couple of bars at the snooker events. Um, and like you touched on the merchandise as well. Um, the merchandise stands do, do always look a bit sorry at the snooker, even, even at the Crucible. There's just I think there's just one little section, one very little small merchandise event where hardly anyone's even looking at. Whereas if you go to the tennis, um, they've got massive um, merchandise um, stands with, with, with sponsors. Obviously, obviously, sports sponsors are a lot bigger in tennis than than in snooker. But I wonder if they could maybe get one of the big queue suppliers into all the UK events because it's not as if there's a big commitment for the, the queue suppliers to go to, what, 10 events a year whereby they can promote their queues and you could have a queue maker there showing how queues are made. And I'm sure a lot of snooker fans would, would buy a lot of the queues if, if they were, if a proper queue maker was there. Um, that could be an idea maybe. And even, I agree, the queue zone uh, section is, is always very crowded. I, I suppose... Space, space is a thing for something like that, but, but whether they could have like a lot of pool tables or something so people could have a game of pool in between because they're not going to have like 20 snooker tables everywhere, but maybe maybe there'd be a lot more space to have like 20 pool tables for oh. people to have a, a game in between. Um, it's still a cube sport, I suppose. Um, but but yeah, I think I think a lot, there is a lot that could, could be done to to improve it, to get, get on the level where tennis is because the, the experience is definitely a lot more when you go to a tennis event compared, compared to snooker. You definitely feel like a lot more of an afterthought when you, when you go to a snooker event. It, it seems like the sort of common theme here is just more to kind of do in between the snooker. We know the snooker is the important thing, but I mean, for example, some finals, there might be three hours between sessions if you've got an all-day ticket. And as has been said, some of the venues, you just have to look after yourself. They don't put stuff on for you to do. They don't put a talk on with the next player or 
or anything. There might be the Q zone where you can have a, a game. But Kelly, you again, sort of, what would you like to see more of, or what would like to see change as a fan experience? I think the food thing is a is a big one. I mean, obviously, I'm usually there with Chris, and if we are, if there is no nowhere to eat or anything in the venue, then we we can generally jump in his car and go somewhere. Mm. Um, I have to say, as the years go on, and I hate to criticise because I love snooker and and I'll never never want to stop going, but. I get the feeling the fans are the very last people that World Snooker give a monkeys about. And do they care whether we turn up or not? I'm not convinced they do anymore. And I'm sad to say that because when when you're there, you know, you've got Rob Walker or Phil Seymour uh, greeting the crowd and they are fantastic and they really make it more of a, a day. But when you're not actually in there watching the match, um, you know, you, you want you shooed out of the venue as quickly as possible. Um, I think, like Joe said as well, I think the merchandise could be made a lot better um, and it could make, up so, make so much more of it as well. I mean, you know, they sell a T-shirt for 15 or £18, pound, plain black T-shirt with Rocket written on it. I mean... Is is that is that really what the level they're at? They could, you know, Judd Trump is, you know, is the young, young superstar who's looking for more, looking to modernise things. Take some notice of what he says. Um, I'm sure a lot more could be made. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I don't really agree with Judd about changing the dress code for players and all that. But I'm sure they could. Um, do more to appeal to the younger generation. If I hadn't have already been going for 20 odd years and I just went once for a day out at a mm. normal venue that wasn't the crucible, say if I just went to Milton Keynes for a day out, apart from watching the snooker, I'm not sure I'd be that um, blown away by it and think I wanted to go back. And when. And- I'm sorry, Kelly. When you say you feel they don't care about the fans, is this a new thing that's sort of happened more recently, do you think? Um, no, no, it's not always been like that at all. I, I mean, I'm not sure if when I say they don't care about the fans, maybe I don't know who I mean when I mm. say that. Um, you know, you got, you know, when you get there, you got this, obviously being a regular, you, you get to know, you know, security guy Mark and you know, he always comes up to you with a big hug and he's lovely and everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. If, if they've sold some tickets, if World Snooker have sold tickets, you know, I think marketing's rubbish as well. I mean, you know, you, as, as a snooker fan, um, you know you're going, you know you're going to go and it's all great. But um, what... What do World Snooker to make us want to go to Milton Keynes or a Home Nations event? Um, you know, you, d- you wouldn't know it's in the town, really, if, if you didn't know from the internet or because you're just a snooker fan. Um, you know, I, I was at the... I was Sorry. At the Milton, Sorry. I was, no, at the on, semi, I was at the Milton Keynes semi-final 
last season with um, Graham Dot and Fan Zheng Yi. And I know there isn't box office, but the place was empty and it seemed all very sorry. And what could they do to get more people in there? Um, I don't know, more advertising, more something. Because the tickets, tickets prices are reasonable, very reasonable for smaller events. Um, what surprises me is that they don't make more of, because most people who go are probably travelling from somewhere else. They never tell you what else you can do while you're there. So come to, for example, there's a tournament in Edinburgh, Scottish Open, next hour in Scotland. That's the big news. Um, in Edinburgh. Now, this is one of the great cities of Britain. Um, so, But when they advertise the event, it'll purely be about the tournament. They don't tell you, for example, they could have a list of hotels people could stay in, or these are the restaurants nearby, or this is what you can do while you're there to make it more of a, a sort of nice, maybe few days away somewhere that the snooker is obviously, sound like Ronnie O'Sullivan now saying, I'll just go along and enjoy a holiday. But actually, for a lot of people, it is a holiday. Um, so what else can I do while I'm there? Now, obviously, you can find this stuff out yourself, but they could sell the area as much as they sell the event, maybe, rather than just, let, like you say, let's ship you all in, then ship you all out again. Yeah, good point. I think, it, for me, I think it just needs to be more interactive, especially with, with um, new new fans to the game, as well as the existings, because I think... Um, you know, at the end of the day, there's so much competition, not not just from other theatre venues, from other sports, from other um, uh, things to do with, with, with your weekend and with your money. So therefore, you need to attract that when you're in that venue, there's other things that you weren't perhaps expecting. So it, it could be, you know, meeting the players, autograph sessions, Q&A with the players, um, as I say, going back to the memorabilia, but 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 how, it just needs to be a bit more uh, have a bit more razzmatazz, perhaps, rather than just uh, we're here for the snooker. The snooker is a given. We 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 all want to see good snooker. We all want to see a good match. But I think there's more to it than just going at the venue, watching the snooker, then going home. I think it needs to um, you know get get people involved more. Okay, I'm going to read out a couple of emails now because people have been good enough to write in. So the first one is from Declan in Wicklow, and he said, I've only attended the Northern Ireland Open and the Crucible for live snooker. I've always found it a very pleasurable experience and good value for money. The waterfront in Belfast and the Crucible are fantastic venues as they're right in the city centre. So you have easy access to bars, coffee shops, parks, the winter gardens, etc. So you can switch off and have a change of scenery away from the session you're attending. Commentary headsets add hugely to the experience. I'd struggle to fault the overall experience, to be honest. My wife and I are always very impressed by how approachable and down-to-earth the players are compared to what we see in other sports these days. This is a big selling point for the game and family audiences, young kids, etc. Perhaps in Belfast, they could put on some entertainment between sessions by having some local musicians play within the waterfront. The venue's big enough. And in other venues, your your idea like a Q&A with commentators would be interesting. As a traditional snooker fan, I can't say I'd warm to the air guitar fan cap stuff. Perhaps it should be left for matchroom events only. Lee Wall writes, you asked for feedback on experiences attending tournaments as a spectator. I've been to three events this season, the most recent being the World Championship. I attended on the first Monday and Friday morning and afternoon sessions, and the experience was overwhelmingly positive. As I went on my own, I was able to pick up individual tickets fairly late on at just over £40 per session. The Friday tickets, with a view of both tables, I had a great time. 
Price seemed fair, the atmosphere was excellent, standard of place superb, and I was easily able to get a drink and access the facilities where I wanted. There was also a chance to get a nice Chinese meal and visit the Brown Bear and Sheffield Tap. This was my third year visiting the Crucible. I'll definitely return next year. I also went to the afternoon semi-final in York, a venue I've been to for many snooker, for snooker many times. I went with my dad. It was his first trip to live snooker. Again, the standard of play was excellent. I can't fault the Barbican as a venue. The spectators were also well-behaved, which has not always been the case there when I've been before in uh, the boozy pre-Christmas period. My dad is keen to return in November. Lastly, I went to Horwich. This is uh, Bolton for the Champion of Champions. It was the packed Thursday afternoon when O'Sullivan and Higgins were both playing. I think we only paid £15 for the privilege. Great atmosphere in the venue again. The only criticism I would have is the signage around the stadium was poor. The entranceway and facilities were sparse. It was 10 out of 10 for inside the auditorium, 3 out of 10 for outside. I went with a couple of friends, one who'd never been to snooker before. And once we were in our seats, we had a top afternoon. Overall, I had a great experience attending snooker. And at the prices I paid, it has to be one of the best value for money spectator sports in the UK. And one more for now, Ian from Birmingham. He said, I went to my first event at Wolverhampton. This was the Players' Championship. I loved it. Went on the Friday. And luckily, the first game, Robertson versus Higgins, was a long one. So not that long before sessions. However, uh, there really is nothing to do. As you said, you can have a bit of fun on the table, but why can't there be a Q&A in the main arena with a current or former pro or even a member of the WST management, etc.? The biggest issue is that Aldersley is some way out of the city centre. There's no time to go there and back. So the only option was beer, and for a group, this led them to be a bit rowdy in the evening session. Remember somebody being ejected. Ideally, all events should be close to a town or city centre. Hopefully the players can go back to the Civic Hall soon. I liked it so much I booked a ticket for the British Open in Milton Keynes and also my wife for my 50th brought me a sofa, a ticket on the sofa for the first day at the Masters. So then I bought a normal ticket in normal seats for the Monday afternoon session as well before I go home. The actual time in the game is good. The arena and the setup is good. So some positive comments there, but you touched on, um, well, t- a couple of people touched on value for money there. Um, it's fair to say, I think a lot of um, the tournaments actually, it, they are compared to a lot of sports, good value for money. But it's clear that the Crucible, which obviously is now, you know, a hot ticket, the prices are going up, aren't they, Kelly? You, you know, you've been going, I think, since 98, you said. It's getting expensive yeah. now, isn't it? It is. Um, I did my first season ticket in 2003, and that cost £375. And um, and I was young then, so that even that was quite a lot of money. Mm. And I, but I remember the next year, um, I remember being disappointed because the, the season ticket had gone up by £25. And I thought, and I thought, wow, you know, I, I would love it to only go up that much nowadays. It, when we were in Sheffield this year, the tickets went on sale for next year and I booked 14 days in full, but not the semi-finals. And that came to £2,200. Oh. And which is, you know, when I've still got to find the accommodation money, um, obviously spending money for two and a half weeks. Um, that's I'm, I'm very more than happy. Well, not more than happy to pay it, but I'm willing to pay it because I love the crucible so much. There's nowhere like it. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the amount of money going into the, my crucible now will mean I do cut down a little bit elsewhere this season. Um, but I do think the crucible. I do think maybe the crucibles has become something that 
you probably should only do for a few days away now. It's not really, it's become so expensive, it's probably become something you're not supposed to do for two and a half weeks anymore. It's a hell of a lot of money. Um, and with the cost of living crisis going on, everything's going up. Um, you know, I do, I do feel a bit mad to say, oh yes, let's pay it. But when I'm there, um, you know, when I was there this year, it was like, oh, we're going to have to cut down next year. It's just getting too much now. Um, but after after a couple of days there this year, we said, oh, shall we just pay it next year because we love it so much? And it does it does get you because it is, you know, it's it's our highlight of the year, um, and we'll cut down elsewhere if needs be just to make sure we're at the crucible. I haven't got any faults with the crucible at all. It's it's just, the, it, there's a magic to it like nowhere else. And yes, it's expensive, but it's a bloody marvellous holiday. <laughs> Absolutely. Something else that was touched on there, um, interaction with the players. I mean, obviously they're there to play uh, and it's, it's their uh, profession, but they're also there to sell the sport. Have any of you had any sort of dealings with the players I'm, I'm hoping to hear that they will stop and sign autographs and post pictures is, is that the case yeah but yeah very much so I, I, on, on most of the occasions that I've been to tournaments I have been able to meet the players um, not necessarily the players who are playing but um, but meet other players for their autographs and have a casual chat with them and and the vast majority have been extremely friendly and, and very, very warm and hospitable. So no, no problems with that for me. Good. Joe, have you ever sidled up to a player? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, I think in, in the Newport Centre, the very small leisure centre, I think we met uh, Marco, Marco Fu, who was a very, very nice. Um, Andrew Higginson, again, a very nice uh, gentleman. Um, Mark Selby as well. We, we met him in Telford at the UK Championship, and he, he was... Um, Really pleasant, um, and they all seem friendly. But I do think there should be a bit more duty on the players that after a match there has to be. Well, you see Wimbledon at the moment; mm. a lot of the players at the end of the match go up saying yeah. tennis balls in the corner. Surely there should be a five-minute slot at the end of every match, whereby the winner has to go and do that. I think because even if there's like thirty children, how long does it take to sign every child's autograph that's in the arena? If they all go to the front, it would just just be. I don't. Know, I just think that's that should be a given really it's just make that part of their job as well as having interviews after the match I think I think that would look good as well on TV yeah I completely yeah, I, agree I, I agree as well but I think the practical uh, sort of reality is TV want them immediately you know they literally you sometimes see them being dragged out however that doesn't stop something happening after the match you know after the interviews have happened maybe outside in the foyer you could set up a table and the players know okay you get you know you're going to be there for 20 minutes you're going to sign It'll make these people's day. Um, the impression I get sometimes with World Snooker is that they don't always want to sort of bother the players. They think, oh, we, we can't sort of, you know, make them do too much. But this is kind of, it's a mutual sort of thing that the more people that come and put money into the sport, the bigger the sport will be. And in my experience, the players are quite happy to do it. Quite, there's so much time at tournaments where they're not playing. They're quite happy to meet people. They're always happy to do interviews, for example, because... What else are they doing? They're kind of just watching the snooker and they're, and they're practicing. Um, but it's never really been sort of formally set up. And I think certainly, I mean, the Masters, you know, or, or so the Tour Championship, there's only eight players there. <laughs> there's eight players at that tournament. It's not actually a big thing to set up 
maybe on a day when someone's not playing, the day before they could come down in the evening and do it. It, 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 it would add something to it. And you can certainly imagine for, for younger fans a chance to get a picture with a Mark Selby or a Judd Trump, you know, make their day. And it might make them want to come back. That's the thing. It might yeah. make them want to come back next year or come back tomorrow even. Um, Kelly, you must have met a few players down the years. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember when I was when I first started going to the Crucible, um, I was one of them stage door fans who used to stand there and get autographs. Um, these days, I still get the odd selfie if, if someone's about. Um, but that's, that was one of the good things I was going to say about going to the snooker. Um, everybody's, you know, wonderful, really. They'll all stop and do a selfie or sign something. And um, I think that's one of the really great things about snooker is they're, that they're just, the you know, they're work, normal working men, really. Um, they're just like us. Um, you know, you went to a football match and your hero was David Beckham. Chances are you're never, ever going to meet him. But, um, yeah, you, you see Mark Selby, Neil, Judd, any of them, really, walking up the street. And they'll, they're always more than happy to have a selfie with the fans. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that's not on World Snooker. That's just on the player walking mm. up the street who's willing to stop. Um, but, yeah, they're all, they're all lovely people. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the appeals of snooker um today really that they're just great guys and and if you do go to a tournament there's a good chance you will bump into one of them somewhere um and yeah i've never had a bad, bad nobody's ever refused an autograph or anything they're all they're all lovely that's good to know it's good to know. let me ask you all this very specific question how important <laughs> is buying the program the reason i ask that is will snooker now they only do programs for the triple crown events um and I think the argument is the other events, because of printing costs, they might not sell enough to cover the costs. But I, I was thinking about this. In this day and age, do you actually need a, a physical product? Surely you can download some. Everyone's got a phone. Surely why not have something you can download to your phone? That's your information for the week, player profiles, all the rest of it. Um, when I go to the theatre, I always buy a programme. And they're really expensive. But I just like to have that memento of having gone. Is our programme still important to you? I always buy one for the World Championship. Um, not quite so much everywhere else anymore because I was finding that the prices of them were creeping up. And when you go into multiple tournaments per season, a lot of the information is pretty much very, very similar. You might get the odd interview with a different player. But I was beginning to feel they weren't quite the value for money that they used to be. So... Without doubt, always the one from the World Championship. Um, not quite so much at others anymore. Brian? Yeah, for, for me personally, it's it's not a thing that I'm really into. Um, I, I, again, going, going back historically, yes, I would have come away with a programme because uh, there was no other reference to read about the players. Now you can read about the players you know, anywhere. So it, it, I mean, I'm you know, sure my age, but the last programme I've got has got embassy written on the front. <laughs> right. For, 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 the, for the simple reason is I don't really think it's, it's, it's important. Uh, certainly, certainly not for me because I just think I, I can, I can, you know, Google the players or, or, or I've been watching them all season. So I know how they're performing or I know a little bit about them. And there's so many, um, 
uh, excerpts on TV and whether mm. do obviously in between sessions where you get to meet the players. I don't really think the programs necessarily more. Certainly for me personally, it's not. I actually found one I, I got from the '93 World Championship. Uh, I just did a cupboard the other day and I sort of took it out and I'd filled in all the, all the results apart from the final. So literally two days two days ago, I wrote in the score. I mean, it's a bit late now, but anyway, um, I like to have things completed. Anyway, Joe, do you are you a program man? Uh, no, not really. I think I think that time's come and gone. Really, I think I, everything's so accessible these days online. You've got um, like the WST website. You've got various. You've got Q Tracker and you've got Snooker.org, which is really good for checking results and form and scores. So I think. No, I think back in the day, programs were really important because you didn't have the internet um, and everything on, online as easily. And I know you mentioned having like a downloadable PDF, I suppose. You could just go on the WST website, one of those websites to get, get info. I do think at the, the big events or the Triple Crown events, it doesn't make sense. So maybe that's one thing WST have got right because if you do, it's not going to be something you do every year. So if you do get the chance to go to one of those events, you're more likely to want the memento of that experience that might be once in a lifetime going to the Crucible for a lot of people. Um but yeah, the, going back to the, the, the merchandise, maybe they could have like a few snooker magazines there or something. I know the snooker scene do a magazine, maybe that would be a bit better because that's released every month anyway, isn't it? So that could maybe that would maybe be a better read for, for the, the previous month's tournament or something like that. Yeah. Well, also, we'll stay with you, John. It was mentioned by one of the emails there and some of the innovations last season. We had the uh, the dance cam at one of the tournaments, the, the um, air guitar cam. These were all things to sort of liven the crowd up a little bit with the shootout and the champion of champions. It was a mixed reaction, it's got to be said. Some people sat there stony-faced, not taking part. Some people loved it. I mean, there were people there who were in their element. It's not. I suppose it depends on your personality. I, my view is the snooker audience generally, it's probably not their thing. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? No, I agree. De- definitely my, not my thing. <laughs> but uh, no, I think with, with snooker, it doesn't really go with it. It's not like you go into... Like the basketball, you've got a hot dog and you want to get up dancing. It's just not that, that type of sport, really, I don't, I don't think. I think uh, I'm not the best person to ask, probably, because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the, the shootout either. I, I think if they changed the shootout and went back to something like the old pot black, which was a one-frame shootout, then I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist, really. I, but, but then again, I'm going to the Labour Cup in tennis later in the year, which is definitely more of a fun event. There's no ranking points available, which is obviously their form of the Ryder Cup. And I know I've heard on one of the other snooker podcasts where, where there's been a bit of talk about having the double events at one of the ITD events this year, but, but I still think having a snooker version of the Moscone or the Ryder Cup would be massive. Just scrap the shootout, have a, a snooker version of the Ryder Cup, and you don't want people shutting out when, when the frame's going on, but even in between, fans could be going crazy at an event like that because there's no ranking points on, and, and there would still will be a line, but I just understand why there's not an event like that which would really be the event to have a bit of razzmatazz and a bit of fun. I just I just think that's just a perfect idea to copy other sports on. Yeah, I mean, Kelly mentioned the MCs and they do do a great job. But the thing is, snooker audiences, apart from the shootout, they don't actually have to be warmed up because you're not there to shout out. You're there to sit and observe. And we know that the atmosphere in snooker is created by the silence, which is incredibly forbidding and adds to the pressure on the players. But I think, I definitely think they do a great job in welcoming the audience in uh, Phil and Rob and Tahir, the main main three, um, and that's important. It's important that actually <laughs> you're shown some appreciation for being there, Kelly. In terms of all the razzmatazz, I mean, is, can you put up with that, or do you sort of sit there hoping it to stop? <laughs> um, well, 
Well, I, I wasn't actually at the tournament when they had the dance cam, but uh, I don't think I would have got up and started dancing if it had been on me. Um, I might have waved or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I don't, I don't, I've got nothing against it. And I think, you know, trying to appeal to people, but those people were already sat in the audience having a mm. fun time. Um, I'm not sure it was needed, but I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't one of them who was wildly criticising it either. Um, I think it's nice that they do try new things sometimes, you know, we're saying about all the negative, but they're actually trying. Um, with some new things, I think Emily at Matchroom. I think she's she's amazing. She's, you know, get get here on board for all the tournaments. I think. Um, yeah, it some things probably wouldn't be for me, but like you say, I think that's just generally maybe some snooker fans' personality. I'm not one to jump out in the crowd. <laughs> I'm more maybe the sitting quiet is more my scene. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm just going to read a couple more emails. Um, Stephen Hayes, he says, Greetings from Tasmania, Australia. I thought your idea to get and share the fans' view is great. I looked at the first live golf event and saw several examples of fans interacting, like putting, bunker, chipping contests, music concerts, etc. I'm sure there's more that could be put on for fans, especially between sessions. Uh, he says, I'm hoping to get to Sheffield next year. My shout in the graduate. People seem to think I'm just spending my time drinking, Thomas. But anyway, I will, I will see you in there, Stephen, if you if you make it over. Uh, Liam McMullen says, I've only ever attended the Grand Prix when it was at Cheltenham Racecourse, as I've lived in Bristol and now Stroud, respectively. My experience of it was reasonably good. I can echo what some people have said before about the choice of food on offer being fairly limited, with it mainly being light snacks like pasties, sandwiches, or maybe a jacket potato. But I didn't mind this, and surely it's more to do with the catering at the venue WST. My main concern and gripe, and to reiterate another point that's been touched on before, is the lack of tournaments in this part of the world in general. Now, he actually says here the Grand Prix left Cheltenham, which is true when he sent the email, but actually he's now going back there. So <laughs> um, that, he, that will be back in Cheltenham. He says, for me and others around this area, it's pretty easy to get over the bridge to Newport for the Welsh, which that's actually also now left Newport. So the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. That's going to Glendidno. Uh, but he says, it doesn't feel like a local tournament. For those living further south, like Devon or Cornwall, there's really nothing at all. Particularly amazes me, nothing's come up in Bristol with many venues that could surely host a tournament uh, spring into mind if a leisure centre in Crawley is deemed a suitable enough venue. Crawley's really getting it on this um, this podcast, isn't it? Uh, he says it also seems like a home tournament for Judd, one of the biggest stars and commercial assets to snooker. Could be a big win all round. Well, uh, there used to be the old Redwood Lodge. They had uh, a ranking limit there, but that was 40 years ago. And just two more. Ian from Cornwall. I was surprised to hear you say there's already snooker taking place, Championship League. Maybe it's my mistake for relying on the WST app. I was assuming I needed to wait until August. He sent me a screenshot. Apparently, they say the next tournament is the European Masters on there. He said, if World Snooker really want to grow the sport, they need to get this app right. Uh, throughout the World Championship, there were scheduling errors or scores not up to date. Anyone new to the sport might safely assume the official app to be accurate. Well, I've said, I mean, the app's no good. I mean, let's just lay that on the line. It's no good. It's not good enough for a professional sport, um, as as Ian says, during the World Championship, you know, the scores weren't there or, or they, were, they had the wrong matches up. It's not any good, and I think they should either... It's never been any good. They should either get rid of it or overhaul it. Don't just keep sort of rolling it out as if it's uh, as if it's something to be proud of, because you shouldn't be proud of it. And finally, Ryan Cambridge, uh, I hope you're keeping well and safe in this current climate. Congratulations on the eighth year of the podcast. It's a massive achievement. You should be proud to be the leading voice 
the best snooker podcast on the globe. That's one in the eye for Nick Metcalf, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> following up from your episode 203, where you were questioning how the World Snooker Tour could reach new audiences and gain more followers, it made me think about the other sports I love and how they go about it. I'm a massive fan of mixed martial arts. The UFC is the main promotion, and their promoting game is massive. Every upcoming event is spread around social media daily, with highlight reels from fighters on the upcoming events to interviews and real fan interaction. Even the fighters themselves promote the events, as the top-end fighters get a small cut of the pay-per-view. So the lesser fighters do this too, as they obviously aspire to get to the top one day and get a cut of the ever-growing metaphorical pay-per-view pie. You only have to look at the numbers since Dana White, the UFC president, took over in 1992. His keen eye on promotion and a sheer belief in the brand that nobody else shared. With the sport being banned in many countries and even the US and even US states, it took real work to grow MMA as a whole to become a billion dollar business that it is today. In comparison, the snooker advertisement is farcical. For instance, the Championship League started on the 28th of June. And if I wasn't such a big fan of the sport, I'd never know. I perused the World Snooker Tour Facebook page, searching for a single post promoting the event. I gave up when I got to April. I did not find one single post regarding the event. Not one, and that's in capitals. Uh, how is snooker ever going to grow without using the promotional force that is social media? As an entity, the snooker tour and its players need to do a much better job of promoting the sport and getting it out there to new fans, as the vast majority aren't going to be headed to Google to see where the next events are on. The viewing numbers the World Championship gets shows there are plenty of fans and potential new fans out there. They just need to make more of an effort to reach out and pull in these potential fans. Keep up the great work. So uh, an impassioned plea there from Ryan. The problem, as I see it, the social media side, and it's a matter of resources, they don't have enough people. They have three guys, all good guys, they all work hard. But it's a major sport, and certainly when you get into the sort of heart of the season, you're kind of racing from one event to another. You're trying to cover that event, trying to promote the next one. So if World Snooker want to advertise the sport more, they need more people. It's as simple as that, and that's nothing that I can affect. But um, I'm sure that uh, these points will be, will be well, I was going to say taken on board. They may not be. But uh, in terms of the sort of stuff around the sport um, that's been mentioned there, the app, the social media and all that, how important? I mean, do you follow any of that stuff? Obviously, your snooker fans, you know when the events are on. Does that sort of does all that stuff around it um, enhance uh, your sort of knowledge of the tournaments, your enjoyment of them, or is it just there if you need it, sort of thing? Um, for, for me, I do follow every social media thing about it, and there was a nice thing last week with Rob Walker and Dave Gilbert, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, those things do seem a little bit few and far between. You know, they're not a regular thing. We used to have um, that Baywatch series mm. as well, which was yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I think you're right about the website. It really needs somebody to, you know, keep it up to date. Um, I think more more things like the the Rob Walker, Dave Gilbert thing. Maybe some some of that a bit more often. And just just advertise themselves a bit better. Um, like you, like one of the emails said, if you weren't a snooker fan, you'd never have known about the Championship League this week. And that's a shame. Um, you know, when the big tournaments are coming round, it, it's you know they will put things on there, but the big tournaments look after themselves. I think. Um, you know, some of these smaller events, I think they're crying out for. You know, just a, a bit of TLC. Anyone else on sort of 
yeah, the, the way that snooker is or could be better sort of advertised? Um, just getting back to what Kelly was saying there, I, I kind of, I do follow um, snooker on social media and I do like some of the um, behind the scenes discussions or documentaries. I like the one Alan McManus did recently on the uh, mm. up and coming players and he followed them throughout the season and their trials and tribulations. I thought that was really, really good. Um, maybe not too sure about Rob's visit to Yang Bing Tao's house. Um, but um, generally speaking, I think uh, I do like that sort of thing. I do, I do follow it. But I do think the website needs overhauling or at least um, making a bit more relevant and updating more regularly. Because I quite often look at that and think it's, it's, it's not relevant, which is a shame. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm trying to think of the amount of times I go on the WSD website, and it's very rare. Like I'll go on other websites um, to look at the rankings and upcoming tournaments, or maybe go on snooker.org, or, or um, even this podcast is probably um, I get a lot of my snooker updates from this. This podcast, the, the WSD podcast, still isn't quite as good as as this one. I don't don't think. Um, that, that I know they release the podcast now and again, and they have that. We had 147 seconds updated, which isn't isn't very good either. So, so yeah, I think I think a lot of outside sources are providing better content than WST with probably a tenth of the budget, which, which says it all, really. So I, I still think there's a lot of improving to do there, and for, for sure. Yeah, I do feel like I say I, I do feel it is a matter of resources. I think if they put more money into it, they could get more people, and then obviously do more. I think that's that's essentially it. It's whether people running uh, WST feel that that is where the money should be going. Anyway, we, we've, we've been going an hour now, so I'm going to just two more things. Really, the first is we quite often hear players being quite critical about the sport in public. Ronnie O'Sullivan even has said he wouldn't let his kids play snooker. As snooker fans who spend money to come to tournaments, when you hear things like that, how do you feel about it? Do you do, do you just sort of brush it off, or does does it upset you? How, how do you feel when you hear players saying things about the sport that you are paying to come and watch? I personally think it's disrespectful, and I think uh, you know it should be written to a player's code of conduct uh, that they, you know should be promoting the game at all times. If they have a disagreement about the way it's run or um, anything going on behind the scenes, then that should be taken up with the appropriate personnel or authority. But I don't, I don't think um, voicing their opinions is is healthy at all. Um, negatively, I mean, because uh, I, I just think it gives the a wrong a wrong vibe and a wrong feeling about uh, about the sport and how it should be promoted. So I, I do I do cringe when I hear some of those comments um, from certain players because I just think, well, you're earning a terrific living from the game. Um, people would give their right arm to to do so, and um, it's not helpful. Kelly, yes, I I agree. I mean, there is so much of Ronnie O'Sullivan they have to take with a pinch of salt. Um, I try and just concentrate on what he does on the table. Um, but, yeah, several times a season he'll be a bit disrespectful about the game. And, and yeah, it's, it's disappointing. I don't want to hear that. I want to, if he doesn't feel he's got anything good to say, then say nothing. But 
you know, it's it's a wonderful sport and it's given him a, a wonderful life. And um, why not say a bit of good about it occasionally, apart from just, you know, you don't want to hear that he doesn't, he might not want his kids to play, but nobody really should hear that. Joe? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that does have to be taken with a with a pinch of salt or on there, Sullivan said. I think because he's he's such an active person, he loves his running. He, sometimes everybody wants to do something different to what they're actually doing. But, but when he thinks, if he actually thought about it and did something else, he probably would think, "Oh, actually, I'm so lucky to be able to to be playing snooker rather than I don't know working in an office nine or five for for hundredth of the money." So I think, yeah, I think I don't think it really mean means that. And I, I suppose, I suppose. Snooker is a sport. It, it is quite a lonely sport. And you do need to put a lot of graft in eight hours a day um, on your own training. And I, and I suppose he's probably thinking, does he really want one his children to do that? Or would he not rather than do a, do a more active sport than that? So, so I kind of see where, where, where he's coming from. But but yeah, I suppose you could be a bit, bit more positive sometimes. Um, and come up with a few more positive things to, to go along with a lot of the negativity that comes comes from, from him. But but. So, yeah, I take that, that with a pinch of salt, really, what he said there. OK, and my final question is, and we'll, we'll go along, we'll start with you, Joe. Um, if, you, if you know someone who's never been to snooker and you're trying to sell it to them and say, right, why don't you come with me to, let's say, the Welsh Open, how would you pitch it? How would you sell that as a day out, bearing in mind all the th- other things they could do? What, what would be, what, why would going to the snooker be a good thing to do? Um. I would definitely have to be about the sport, really. Like we've said, I think um, going to the we haven't had a lot of positive things to say, and apart from the actual sports, I would just just say how relaxing watching snooker is in general, really, and what um, like what an amazing sport it is. And yeah, that, that's what I would say. And I think when you do go and watch it live, like especially if you go to the Crucible, I would, I would say rather than the rather than the Welsh, the, the atmosphere is just incredible. It, um, and the experience of watching it live is just um, like electric sometimes. Um, like when I went, went to watch the, the world final a few years ago, um, Higgins and Trump, which was an amazing final, just some of the moments in that match were just like absolutely electric. So I think, I do think it depends on on which event you go to, go to really. But um, I, I would just say the, the sport sells itself really, I, I think. I think that's the thing to focus on and just really... <laughs> The rest of it is just just tidying up really around the edges and just making the events a little bit better. But the I think the sport just just sells itself. It's just getting people to go in the first place like, is is the key. I think once you've been, you'll just fall, fall in love with it. I think most people would. Brian, would you have would you have any sort of uh, secret recipe to get someone along to a snooker tournament? <laughs> uh so that would be good. Secret recipe? I, I I don't think so. I think what Joe said is pretty accurate. I think you. you the sport sells itself, and if if you're if you if you understand the drama and the tension that it creates, and uh, and you can experience that firsthand, then that, that, that I think that's that's the most important thing. Funny enough, a similar thing happened last season where um, my cousin uh, went to the um, never been to a snooker venue in his life, went to a, a match at Milton Keynes. Which was um, how would I say not not the um, not, not the box office at the time. It was a, a few kind of lowly ranked players, and um, I don't think he he got the experience of really what it was. And uh, and he kind of thought, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to stick to football." 
uh, I don't think I'll be back, which is a shame because I was kind of really hoping he was going to say, no, I, I understand where you're coming from with it. Um, but I, I, I think you've just got to um, put across that you're very close to the players. It's an intimate theatrical environment. And um, you get a very, very different flavour to what you do on television. OK, and Kelly, uh, I, I get the feeling you'd be quite persuasive, actually, getting anyone along, because you're so passionate. Um, what, would you, what would you say? Yeah, I have talked the odd people into going over the years. They've, they've perhaps not been for a second time. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I just think it's a great day out. Um, the atmosphere is, is wonderful. Um, you know, if you go in with your friends, it's a really cracking day and night. Um, you get to visit new places that you might not go to normally, and um, you know, especially if you if you can make the crucible as your first one, um, um, you know, I think you'll definitely go to others then because it's the atmosphere is just like nowhere else. Um, but if, if you do have a good day somewhere else, then you want to build up to go to the crucible. I, I think, um, yeah. But any snooker fan, I would try and tell to. Go, go once, experience it. And if you're really not into it, you're probably not that much into snooker, really. Um, but, yeah, just just go. It's it's amazing. And if you can get a golden ticket to the Crucible, then uh, you're, you're assured of a great day, really. You get to meet the players. Like we say, they're always hanging around. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't give it a go. Excellent. Well, I think what... The sort of message really from the last hour is that A, snooker is a great sport, go and watch. And B, it, it, it's it's vital that the powers be who run these tournaments actually listen to the fans and just take on board some of these points. They're not major restructuring by any means. No one's calling for major changes. It's just uh, listen a bit more about where some of these tournaments are and sort of making it more of a, a sort of wider experience than just coming in, sitting on a seat, watching the snooker and then going home. Um, and hopefully people will listen and hopefully in the next few years, you know, things will will improve. Um, thank you all for joining us on the on the podcast. And uh, we are members of the Sports Social Network, so do check out the other podcasts. Anything you've heard you want to comment on, email us, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. But thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Joe. And we're going to end, I didn't tell you this, we're going to end, we always end with our, our sign-off is goodbye-bye. I'm going to do a com- first ever communal goodbye-bye. So, okay, so I'm going to count down. Don't look like that, Brian. I'm going to count down. <laughs> He's thinking, why did I come on this? <laughs> why is it a game show? And we're going to count down three, two, one. Okay, I'm going to, and then we're going to all say goodbye-bye. So here we go. Three, two, one. Goodbye-bye. Goodbye. What about that? Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.